I embrace my 9 p.m. crankiness. Damn kids, get off my lawn. Not there yet. I'd have to have a lawn for them to yell at, but I do serve them lunch so I can be the cranky lunch man. Welcome back to Ranking 76, where we review and rank the heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. I'm Matt. And we're now on Joseph, part two. The Flight. The Flight? The flight. Whoa! We got a subtitle! The Flight. The, the Flight of the Nez Perce. They have not been flying. Part two. The Flight. Let me just... It's going to be one of those episodes, so let's... uh. You might, um, is it one of them? Uh, what is it called? What was it called? The stubborn witch or something like that? Or the stubborn witch? Yeah. The beer you had last time. Remember? Oh, what was it called? Uh, well, it was grumpy wench. Grumpy but... wench. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> it's not. No, this is a, a thimble. It's very good. But uh, context aside, this is not the most cheery episode. So if you need to get something to drink, Matt, I understand. <laughs> I For saw some listening. of the comments. Hmm? What? For those listening, if you're driving, obviously don't. But if you're just sitting at home, uh, you, might, you might need something, something to sip on. I saw even some people in the comments on our Facebook page were like, woof, that was a tough one. It was. And that was with like the hope of Joseph, like, bashing them down that was the cheery episode <laughs> oh, no. oh so yeah if i cry eric it's on you i don't think you'll be crying because you're sad i think you'll be very angry but why don't i just stop um foreshadowing and let's just let's just talk about it so if you remember from last episode the nez purse had been dealing with the americans for Basically, since Lewis and Clark, they have been kicked off of their land. Joseph, who has been taught since birth, do not leave the Wallala Valley. This is your home. Do not ever leave it because your parents, your family, your history is here. Do not ever leave it. Please. Thank you. Bye. And here comes the Americans because gold or minerals were found. And they're like, we'd like you to move to this reservation. And Joseph baited them into oblivion everything he said made a lot of sense and they kept going crap crap we cannot this one's very good it's hard to beat them around the point however they did i'll say persuade them to move on to a reservation when as soon as they got onto the reservation a warrior who was basically being picked on during a war dance ceremony went out and killed some some settlers and now they are to get some payback right yes some payback from his father so this is the start of the episode (laughs) so leading up to the murders 
Oliver Otis Howard, if you remember, he was the general last year or last episode who was really the one in charge. He would be like basically the main negotiator. He's the one that told that they had the Nez Perce they had to move on to the Lapwai reservation. So leading up to the murders, Howard was going around from tribe to tribe, and he was convinced after the long negotiations that the natives uh, that the negotiations are finally over. Howard saw essentially what he wanted to see, and it was reinforced by chiefs telling him that they start that they will start to move on the reservation within a month. Howard did hear reports of some natives were stockpiling weapons, but didn't think much of it. He probably just thought they were a few troublemakers anyway. And in reality, that's exactly what it was. It was one warrior who decided he needed to go on a vendetta to avenge his family. But the peripherals for Howard aren't great. Remember, he has been in the papers for a while because he can't get the nest purse on the reservation. So to basically have what looks like the out, the starting of a war isn't great for him. Howard doesn't have much time to make a decision, so he sends approximately 100 cavalry to head off to Joseph's band with a plan that Howard will meet up to him when he is able. He has other bands that he needs to check on. But Joseph, you get the feeling Joseph was the priority. So you guys go out this way, I'll meet you. What was he like? Uh, go check on uh, good old Joe over there. I'll be there when I get to. Oh, boy, something's going to happen. Yeah. Especially keep an eye on that Joseph. Especially that Joseph. He seems like he's a bit of a troublemaker. Were there more than 100, like, in total, and he just sent out some, or did he send everybody? Yeah, he had to send out, basically, he had to send, like, everyone go. <laughs> like, we need to make sure this is under control. We need to make sure that the treaty nest purse are staying on the reservation, and we need to make sure those who said they were coming on the reservation are still coming. Or has it completely flipped, and are we in a war? Let's find these answers very quickly, please. Now, you remember from last episode... Joseph and Olicott, their band, uh, Olicott is the war chief of Joseph's band uh, and Joseph's brother. They had already decided to flee because, well, it wasn't necessarily their choice. They didn't want to leave Lap uh, the Walla Walla Valley anyway, but they needed, like, they defaulted to their tribe's wishes and they're now fleeing. So they're on the run now. Suddenly in a war the men of the tribe needed to be reminded they're warriors. <laughs> when you think of it, their weapons hadn't been fired in anger or even been pulled out to use before that. Joseph isn't in his element and it's understood that any fighting would definitely not be led by Joseph. Olicott would have to take over. Add in Tula Huzolta and Yellow Wolf, uh, they would play a major part in the fighting also. Joseph would stay approximately with the 600 non-combatants, including the elders, women, and children, as well as nearly 2,000 head of livestock. Try to keep them all together, please. So Joseph was like, you guys go take care of the fighting. I'm just a talker. No, it's kind of the other way around. They're kind of like, yeah, Joseph, you're a lot of things, but I don't think you're a fighter. So why don't you <laughs> worry about the camp? And he was cool with that, or did he want to fight? Well, he wasn't the war chief. He's he <laughs> hasn't been groomed to be to fight. Right, he's been groomed right. to verbally beat down everyone he talks to. But yeah, he's not used to to fighting. That is Olicott's thing. Right. Okay. But I do like the thought of like the warriors having to be like, by the way, you're a warrior. What? <laughs> what do you mean? 
mean? <laughs> Say what? Or there's like a, a button on their back and you just hit like activate and suddenly, oh, look at this power. Oh my God. <laughs> like they go from like the Hulk sized, like fighting power activated karate chop. He just like runs out to to catch him. Wait, guys, bringing like a pen and quit, like a pen and ink, you know. <laughs> wait, wait for me, guys. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Now, keep mind, can you think of Joseph in the next couple of, well, the next while here? He's a quartermaster. He has to basically make sure everything gets to the next stop right. in one piece. And when you have to have women, uh, elderly, children, plus it's again, a, it's annoying. It's not annoying. It seems impossible to me. You have to outrun the United States Army with women, children, and elderly, along with the livestock. Mm, that's a feat. Now it's not and like all the, the supplies. Army. We're going to be talking about this an awful lot. It's not like the army is necessarily fleet of foot outside the cavalry, right? So, yeah. So, Alakot has approximately seventy warriors under his control. And again, they're not used to being fighters, but what the Nez Perce have for them, they're really good hunters. They have been for a while, which means they have great shots and they're really good horsemen. So they have the ingredients of being a pretty good force. They're just not yet. <laughs> they're just not used to it yet. Like they're not used to like. It's just because they never needed it, right? Yeah, they've never had to. They've been. As far as peaceful tribes go, this has been the most peaceful tribe we have talked about. So, also keep in mind, they have the home field advantage. The army's been there for a while, but the Nez Perce know these, these peaks and valleys like, like the back of their hand. And if you look at the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, even like looking at Afghanistan, when somebody has the home field advantage, it's really difficult to like have a easy victory over them for three days. The Nez Perce are fleeing and they kind of have to come up with a plan on the fly. And as you would imagine, there's pressures on both sides to either fight or negotiate. And they have to be very careful on this on what they choose to do next. But then the terrain kind of forces them to choose. Anyway, they enter what is known as white bird Canyon which is not the best place to be if you're a fleeing group because you have high walls, it's difficult to climb them, it might not be the, the best for horses to go through. Uh, the escape would be difficult and they kind of need to make a decision if they need to enter it or if they need to stop and negotiate with Howard and just kind of take the risk. With that said, the Nez Perce are really gonna give it one shot. They do send an emissary over to Howard, who again has had time to catch up catch up to his band or catch up to the band they send a nez purse under a white flag and try to send a truce party on the morning of june 17th now yellow wolf who we won't talk a lot about but he's going to be basically in the background the entire episode we're just not going to mention him this is going to be a name heavy episode anyway so i had to leave someone in the background it just happened to be yellow wolf but however before we push yellow wolf to the back row he would say later that five warriors had been sent out from the west side of the valley as a peace treaty to meet the soldiers the warriors had instructions from the chief not to fire unless they were fired upon when they come out with the white under the white flag um it turns out that howard's men weren't exactly all soldiers in fact, they were volunteers. 
and the worst kind of volunteers, citizen volunteers, who are also not used to whatever they're hunting, firing back. It seems like a very scared rancher fires a shot. So they're coming out with the white flag. American, the Americans aren't soldiers. Right. So they don't care about the white flag and they get fired upon. It's not that they don't care. It's just, if you think of it, this is already a hostile situation. It was a very Tensions are high. They don't know what's going on. They see five people charging. Well, they were clearly walking, but I don't think they trusted that it was going to be peaceful. So he just, he fired and it was just kind of on from there. Did it kill one of them or no? Uh, but after the shot is fired, the Nez Perce instantly start taking aim at an interesting target, which is almost brilliant. Do you want to take a guess who they start open fire on? Who? The bugler. <laughs> Yeah, essentially. Yeah. They kill him real good. Now, why he would doesn't you have a weapon, bugler? right? What? He, he does he even have a weapon? Nope, just that bugle. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. It's not funny, but what were we thinking, man? Oh, okay. No, do you want to know what they were thinking? They know the bugler is actually there to give commands. Right. If they the take out the bugler, it's really difficult for for Howard and his men to pass off directions. Where's so my like, backup bugler? Where's my backup bugler? There we forgot the backup bugler. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they pull out the big trombone and just that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just use that. We can't. It's not the trumpet. <laughs> we can only use this for the failing sound, sir. It's very specific instructions. <laughs> Target number two are the officers. And they take a few of them out. So the what you would think to be the orderly American lines are anything but. Well, In it's the, funny, though, because the Nez Perce don't have a lot of experience, but yet they know what to take out. The bugler, yeah. Well, you know, and the it, officers. Well, they're probably, they're probably go for the people on horses. I, I, right. I, well, they knew, well, like what's weird about this too, not weird. What's sad about this is they knew the rancher who had the opening shot. A lot of the Nest Purse is recognized. And that's going to be throughout the the entire journey we're about to take here is they knew each other almost on an intimate level. Like these aren't strangers fighting strangers. It's just the circumstances are extreme. I always wondered about that, like how weird it would be to go to war with someone you know, like personally. It's interesting. Well, let me direct you to the Civil War. <laughs> no, I know that's what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying, how weird right. it is to be I'm like, just, hey, John. Oh, <laughs> bye, John. Well, I guess now we hate each other. You have a blue uniform and I have a gray one. So I guess it's time for us to start killing each other. All right. It's weird. It's just weird. Yeah. I mean, if you do, I, I don't like, obviously I've been trying to shout out some sources here, but Shelby foot, uh, trilogy, big old trilogy of, uh, the civil war narrative. It's very good. It is a little bit like Confederate pro heavy sometimes, but 
it's pretty good. I recommend it if you want to, you know, know more about brother fighting brother. Anyway, quick plug for Shelby Foot. Don't know where that came from, but there it is. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> so while the Americans are in disarray trying to get their defenses set up, Olicott charges the American line, which forces the Americans to retreat. In the ambush, 34 Americans are now dead to the Nez Perce, who lost three. But they only had five, right? Well, like they had more men behind. They sent five. As oh, well. they sent five ahead, but then all of them came. They had seven. Yes. Yes. They were they were well prepared, apparently. The Americans weren't. So now we've now entered a new escalation in this. Now American line, like American uh, soldiers have now been killed. It's no longer just ranchers. It's getting a little out of control. Well, now it's a war. There's no debate anymore. It cannot be peaceful. Now, the Nez Perce are wholly justified. They were fired upon first. But I also have trouble blaming the a scared rancher who probably shouldn't be put in that situation anyway. But also, they probably didn't have anyone else to throw out there. So, so this was the initial battle on what will be known as the Nez Perce War. The first battle, the Battle of the White Bird Canyon, go to the Nez Perce. The Nez Perce then flee across the, flam- the Salmon River, where at some points it can be several hundred yards wide. Knowing, and they took this route specifically because they knew Howard having to cross the river would cost them time to do it. They could cross it faster than he could. Crossing the river will buy the Nez Perce a couple of days and time for them to regroup. And they meet up with Chief Looking Glass, who adds about another 150 headcount to now make them about 750. Do you remember Chief Looking Glass from last episode? He was yeah. mentioned at the very end. Doesn't wasn't he the one that was like, "You you you killed someone. We out of here." Yeah, he was the one that left first, and they were going to meet up with him. That was kind of the plan all along. Not necessarily all along. Oh, see, I thought he. I guess I was under the impression that he was like, "We don't want any part of this. We're out of here." Correct, but they he made the decision before the Nest Purse decided to flee. But yeah, he was essentially going to be the neighbor of the Nez Perce before well, they're on the reservation. So now they're meeting up with him, which means they've just added another 150 people to an already a lot of mouths to feed, isn't it? Yeah, heck yeah. This is really becoming daunting. The Americans look to Joseph as the mastermind of the retreat and the rebellion. And in short, the Americans, including Howard, need a worthy opponent So Joseph is built up to be even more of a mastermind. To the public, Joseph is a genius. And this gives Howard valuable time to chase him down because if he has a really good opponent, if Batman has his Joker, he kind of gets some grace on why he keeps escaping just barely. Howard and his men take a few days to cross the Salmon River, but by July 1877, Howard is told he is close to the runaways as they enter near a valley near the Clearwater River. As Howard sees the fleeing Nez Perce, his strategy was to initially come from the east as the natives would expect him to come from the west. The way to get to the east side of the natives was much more difficult, but Howard is looking for a killing blow. He's looking to end this as quickly as possible. So he's going to be, it's going to be worth this risk if we can pull it off. The Nez Perce are caught by surprise and only have moments 
before Howard's men open up fire with Gatling guns, howitzers, and a cannon. Yeah, so they got heavy artillery. They're well prepared. I don't think I necessarily need to explain this, but the Nez Perce ain't got no cannon. They ain't got no howitzers. They have these old, crappy, sometimes like muzzle-loading muskets. Old, old stuff. This isn't even the dusty shotgun you pull from your chimney at the end of the action movie to, like, kick some ass. (laughs) With the cannon blast, the warriors get split up into two groups. 25 men would climb the bluffs and immediately start to fight. 80 or so warriors would stay behind and guard the village. Tula Hozote leads 25 men to the bluff, and he's going to basically take on Howard's force, basically just hold them off as much as they can. He climbs a large ravine and saw the soldiers getting ready to fire. The horses, or the warriors, tied their horses and run up to the open flats to block the army's path as they piled stones to create their own cover. Tula Hozota took aim and fired at rifle at the soldiers who returned fire. So suddenly they're blasting on the village and they turn and Tula Hozota and 25 men distract them long enough to give the warriors confidence to get the, the villagers out, the rest of the tribe moving. And then the 80 come and join them. One warrior would recount the firefight as bullets were zinging like bees. Once the Americans were able to adjust, they now have the Nez Perce warriors surrounded on three sides. Tula Hozota and his men fall back into newly formed defensive lines. Once established, there's a standstill. The Americans are now starting to show signs of being exhausted after three straight weeks of marching. The natives, desperate, uh, desperate, are also outnumbered two to one, but they've brought enough supplies by women and children because they are able to, like, they have more access to a creek water, so they have to hold them off overnight. And women and children are bringing them water so they can continue to fight. The Americans don't necessarily don't got that. have <laughs> They don't have that. Now, what's also holding him back is Howard. And there's a lot of flaws Howard has. But Howard doesn't believe that his unproven soldiers, and I can put soldiers in quotes here because they're not all. He could charge and overpower them. But unless it's an orderly charge, it's not going to work. So Howard holds off and they just hold their lines. The two sides end in a standoff after trading fire throughout the night. The Americans had 40 casualties, but only 12 dead. Howard used the time to gather his men for a morning attack, where he then hoped to overwhelm the natives with their numbers. The next morning, Howard does go on the offensive and successfully drives the Nez Perce away from the spring, and he's able to give water and food to his troops for the first time in like two days. Howard then prepared an attack on the Nez Perce flank, but just as Howard is about to order the attack, the army's own pack train is now directly between the Nez Perce and the army. So now Howard has to charge... But he now has to just scramble to protect his pack train. Because <laughs> once you know, they're pretty easy targets for the Nez Perce. So that wasn't by design. That was a mistake. No, that was they got away from some. I'm going to assume someone got fired that night. 
Carl, you had one job. Seriously, you couldn't tie him up. <laughs> there was you couldn't. They just walked onto the battlefield, Charles. You didn't see that coming. I mean, if the Nez Perce, did they just start taking him out? <laughs> the Nez Perce, uh, I'm sure they did, but like they see that the Americans have to kind of get their stuff together and they start fleeing. Like they're in whole, they're just in preservation mode. Whether they know it or not, they don't need to win this. They just can't lose. Right. The Americans have to win it. They have to make them surrender. Right. With the distraction of the mules, <laughs> the Nez Perce crossed the Clearwater River with their women and children in as many positions, possessions as they could gather. Howard declined to continue the pursuit past the river. The battle was simply over. You got to think real embarrassing for Howard. But he's smart, remember? Joseph's smart. Joseph is smart, but we also got to remember, Joseph isn't in charge. I know. I was just going to say, did they ever, were they like, uh, sir, I didn't see him over there. Uh, what's yeah. going on? That is a good point. Now, they don't know that Joseph's not in charge. It's really Alacart and Tula Hozolte at this point. Tula Hozolte at this point. But, yeah, they're just, like, what's going to be interesting, and we'll get into it, Joseph is just viewed as the guy. He's the one in charge. He's commanding all of this thing. Like he, and if you look at by the end of this episode, you're going to be like, if you give him credit for all of that, Jesus Christ, that's impressive. But he's just not. He's in the background. Now, what he's doing is just as important because it's, I, we call them a quartermaster, but that's not a small thing right now when you're literally just fleeing and trying to make people come with you. I'm telling you, being a quartermaster sucks. You got to be in charge of everything. You got to know where everything is all the time, anywhere, including personnel, like you said. So that sucks. Right. And I'll, I mean that you see um, like Nathaniel Green in the Revolutionary War. He hated being the quartermaster, but like he was too Washington needed him there. And like it was the most valuable position to be in. So. But everyone hates it. You never hear of anybody liking being the quartermaster. After three days of running, the chiefs and the leading warriors needed to consider their next move. They could try heading back west towards the Salmon River again and re-enter the Wallala Valley. You can guess what Joseph wanted to do. He wanted to that plan. The thought was they would be able to negotiate and they'd be able to like kind of end this much sooner. Or they could go east through the Bitterroot Mountains into Montana. From there, they could either head north to Canada because Sitting Bull is just over the border. Sitting Bull. Yeah, because he was in Canada for a while. Yep. Hiding out, now, right? Yes, hiding. He's out. He's uh, reaching outside the, uh, the U.S.'s reach. Now, the, the kink in that. The Nez Perce and the Sioux don't exactly get along. A couple years ago, it would have been laughable that they would have even thought of being allies. And it's not entirely sure Sitting Bull would accept them. The other thought, they could head south back into, a, into Idaho and just hide. The plan they come up with is they're going to go through the Bitterroot Mountains because then they even they can choose to go to Sitting Bull or they can also choose to go to Crow Territory 
because the crows are allies and maybe they would show them some shelter and with bigger numbers maybe then they can force the americans to negotiate to end this i don't think at any at one point that when Esper thought they were going to win this they were just trying not to get massacred it's weird though because they don't want the war no the americans didn't want the war well that's what i struggle with i think we have a, a healthy discussion at the end of this episode because i can i want to like oliver otis howard like the, he he seems to me like a genuinely good person however the system at this point the indian peace policy by president grant is what i think the true blame is because nobody wants this to happen but it's happening and nobody trusts each other to end it peacefully right it's like crap now we can't and then something else happens and they're like crap now we really can't and then right. something else happens and they're like oh no now we're just locked in right and you can't and all it is the frustrating part it's like less than three or four people every time that escalates it i know yeah. it's just like it the really tiniest is. little oh what's it called the butterfly effect yeah the butterfly effect just the ripples are just tremendous in this case yep the butterfly flapped its wings and now they're screwed after three days of running the chiefs and the leading warriors need to consider their next move and they have a couple of options first one they need to decide who's actually going to lead them joseph to all of his strengths you can't talk your way to walking through mountains so he's kind of out he kind of knew that going into it who nominates joseph that's what we thought. Okay, next. <laughs> one. <laughs> I'd even think like Joseph is just sitting in the background, shaking his head, like, nope, 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 no one. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Doing the doing the neck, you know, hand across yeah. the neck. Nope, 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 Please nope. No one, no one better recommend me because I will be furious. I will talk your ear off, and you know I'm capable. <laughs> <laughs> so then the decision comes down to Olakat, Tula Hosota, or Looking Glass. To save not much of a debate. They choose Looking Glass. He's the one that's, they just, they think he's going to be the one to lead them to where they need to go. Where do they need to go? Well, they have some options. They can A, um, head back, essentially. They can turn back to the Salmon River, basically give themselves up to the Americans and be like, can we forget that we've had two battles and will you forgive us, please? (laughs) Please. Yeah, that was kind of everyone's thought, too. It was like, ha, that's a funny joke. What's the real plan? Well, the thought is they could then go through the Bitterroot Mountains where they can go into Crow territory where maybe their allies would welcome them with open, with open arms. That's plan 1A. 1B, if the Crow do refuse them or they're unwilling to help them, Well, there's this big figure sitting just north on the Canadian border. Matt, do you remember who is sitting just north of America right now? Sitting boat. You god dang right he is. (laughs) The guy who just (laughs) murdered Custer real good less than a year ago (laughs) is basically exiled out of America uh, so he can't get caught. So maybe if they can't reach the crow, they can just go to Canada and Sitting Bull would help them. So with the Salmon River rot really, you know, honestly debated about, they just decide they're going to go through the Bitterroot Mountains and take their chances with the crow. 
Now, we've dealt with the Bitterroot Mountains before. Do you remember when? Sitting Bull. <laughs> no. Lewis and oh, Clark. Oh, Red Cloud. Oh, Lewis and Clark. <laughs> Do you remember what happened in the Bitterroot Mountains? Uh, didn't they almost die? Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> and they only had a couple dozen men. How many people are going on this trek? Over 700, right? Yeah, 750 plus livestock. And Lewis and Clark barely survived. But, but wasn't it pretty late? Uh, it was pretty well, it was getting late. But what they didn't have is they were literally making the map to the Pacific Ocean for Lewis. Right, they didn't know the area. These cats have been in the area. Yes, they've been going back and forth. And, you know, this is also 70 years past Lewis and Clark. So maybe I added dramatic effect without being sincere <laughs> about it. But it sounded good. Bum, bum, bum. What's going to happen? We know what's going to happen. What's going to happen? <laughs> But with that said, it is, uh, to me, it is much more of a monumental task to take them through with 750 than to go through the first time with 40. Because remember, Lewis and Clark did have a guide. He just got lost. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that guy. Yeah. His name, I forget his name, but yes, uh, it was something ridiculous. Didn't he almost get them killed a few times? Yes, he got lost on the way. What is his name? Who's ever somebody in their car right now? Just yell it at your stereo louder so we can hear. Oh, that's that's right. That's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, him. Everyone heard that, right? Perfect. Thank you, listener number seventy. <laughs> but they all decided Sitting Bull's the answer. No, they don't know yet. They want to go to the crow. The crow is plan one A. Sitting Bull is one B. Okay. But they need to get through the Bitterroot Mountains, which, again, really rocky terrain. It's obviously a, a mountain range, difficult to get through, in and itself is going to be a challenge. In late July, the Nez Perce are spotted outside a small American fort stationed in the Bitterroots. The commander and the fort geared up for his men for battle because they were kind of fearing that this was going to be the second standing of Custer, when that is definitely looming over this entire time. Everyone is so scared they're going to be the next Custer. The Nez Perce aren't even really thinking about fighting unless they get approached. So they see this fort. They're not going near it. In fact, the fort commander is actually, like, relieved because, one, they're incredibly outnumbered. We're calling this a fort, but I think it was more blanket fort than actual fortification. Not much there. He's actually more impressed at the Nez Perce, like climbing skills and how they're getting everyone out than they are thinking about attacking them. So they almost get a free pass in the Bitterroot Mountains. However, that does give them the chance to let Howard know where they're at. So they're still able to come through. Right. He they're they're going through, but now they know where they're at. Yeah. But Howard also has to bring his army through the same thing. So it's not like he's, he knows where they're at. That's great. That question is answered, but it's not like they can catch him that much faster. Fact, and I'm sure it's probably. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure it's probably. I mean, they have to get through it, not knowing the area as well either. Right. I mean, they know they definitely know the area now because, again, Lewis and Clark, 70 years back. Right. Oh, they yeah, literally yeah, right, gave right, them right. a map. And there's been shortcuts delivered since then. And, like, obviously, there's a fort in the Bitterroot Mountains. They know the area much better. The Nespers just know it much better than the Americans. 
And also keep in mind, the Nez Perce kind of running for their lives this entire time. The Americans are a lot of things, but they're not running for their lives. Motivation is heavy on the Nez Perce. So the Nez Perce go through the Bitterroot Mountains in about 11 days, which is it's pretty fast, pretty good, pretty good to get through a mountain range since it took Lewis and Clark like I think it was like two weeks. So about the same time, a little bit, a little bit longer. Now, what the Nez Perce do is on the other side of the mountains, they would traditionally trade with a town just on the other side of the range. And they choose to do so here mainly because they don't have another choice. They need supplies. So the Nez Perce walk into this town and the entire townspeople are just staring at them like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, please don't kill us. <laughs> well, yeah, 700 people just walked through. Not only 700 people, 700 very publicized uh, warriors or feared people, I guess, at this point. They were terrified. So, yes, the Nez Perce got whatever they wanted in town. The Nez Perce just wanted to trade like they always had done because they needed supplies really bad. Because keep in mind, they've been in a couple battles. They have some wounded. The elderly, they ain't getting younger. Right. And, you know, they have some livestock that they need to trade. Their herd is actually a benefit for them to trade, too. So it's not like they're looking to screw the Americans, even though they probably could at this point, because the town just wants them to go away. While in a council, Looking Glass meets with a flathead chief. Now, the flat, they're in flathead territory, obviously. And when Looking Glass approaches them about maybe having an alliance, he is shot down immediately. No, we do not want anything to do with this. Do you not know the Americans are crazy? So with the Flatheads now up, now off the list, it's now down to Crow, to the Crow, or Sitting Bull. The Flatheads really weren't an option. That's why I didn't go over them earlier, but they did meet with them if anybody was really specific in the area that's just, is flat end territory but did they just not did they so they expected not even to make it a an alliance with them either they were hoping but yes it really wasn't they weren't necessarily allies i guess so it was kind of a reach anyway but you're gonna ask obviously when you're in the position they're at not only would the flatheads not help in the fighting but the murderers who, but the murders at the start that started all of this, uh, they thought the Nez Perce needed to be punished. It was a strong no. So with that plan not going to work, the discussion uh, kind of looks back on Looking Glass because they're camped outside of this town and it looks like Looking Glass isn't showing that much urgency. Someone would say, quote, maybe our enemies are now overtaking us and we will get and will get us wept. Be ready for fighting any time. Keep going. Move fast. Death may now follow us on our trail. Another elder named Whitebird had a vision of, of soldiers recently, which means he was prophesizing that soldiers would be coming very soon. Whitebird openly questions Looking Glass. By the way you are acting, you seem to anticipate no danger. How do we know but that some of these days or nights we shall be attacked by the whites? Looking Glass replied, quote, The little bunch of soldiers from Missoula are not fools enough to attack us again. We must take, we have best take the world as easily 
as possible. What fighting? We're fine. <laughs> What's there to worry about? What Looking Glass thought they needed was more hunters. So he recruits 10 families, including one native who whose name is Lean Elk. He goes by another name of Poker Joe, but we're, that seems comical to me. And Poker, Poker Joe. Joe. Poker Joe! <laughs> Poker, hardly know her. Ba -da 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 -da. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we're a family-friendly show. So just know someone named Lean Elk is now joining them. He's going to be a big deal in just a little bit. The Nespers do take camp just outside of town. They move on for a couple of days and they meet outside a place that is well known to the Nespers called the Big Hole and is on the far side of the Continental Divide. The Big Hole is described as a lush creek with high grassy valley surrounded by pine trees and covered. So you can hide from the wind, essentially. It's really good to be hidden. However, probably not the best place to be when you're being chased by the military. So let's camp there, shall we? The wind will be away from us. You will be shocked that the Americans catch up. How the crap did they catch up? Uh, because Looking Glass didn't move. He didn't think that they would chase him through the mountains. Everything was fine, remember? Looking Glass, I knew I did vote for you, buddy. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> this is where I like Joseph's probably in the background. Why I told you guys you should have voted for me. I wouldn't have done this as well. <laughs> I would have kept this moving. I would have. Yeah, I don't know what do we want to revote, Joseph? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm needed back here. On August 8th, a detachment of Howard's men, led by Colonel John Given and around 180 men, discover the Nez Perce camp around the North Fork of the Big River, of the Big Hole River. That night, the Americans marched overland to the Nez Perce camp, reaching it by dawn. The orders for Given are to take no prisoners and to have no negotiations. What a good start. This would be a fight, and hopefully the final one. When Gibbons men encounter an old Nez Perce man, they simply shoot him as the opening moments of the battle. The soldiers cross the river and rush into the village and began firing into teepees, where most of the Nez Perce were still sleeping. Some recalled waking up as if they were in a dream. Some left their children hidden, hidden under blankets and fled. Complete surprise. I will warn you for the next two minutes, this will be get graphic. So if you want, I, there are some gory details in here. So there is your warning. Historian Daniel Sharfstein described the scene of the Nez Perce came, quote, from their teepees out among the slaughtered horses and dead dogs. Their faces and eyes only showered with dirt and twigs. Their ears ripped, ripped and ringing. What was happening to them they found hard to describe. It felt like a summer hailstorm, survivors would say, or acorns falling from a hard autumn wind. The guns barked like beasts. The air sang with bullets. It was a lightning from all around, and it was raining lead. In their panic, many fled in all directions, including many warriors who left without taking their weapons. One incredibly brave little girl 
let me tell you, this little girl, much braver than I ever would be, realizes she forgot her doll in her teepee. So she ran back to get it, quote, swatting at bees that were swarming around her head above her. As she heads back to her mother, who was frantic, she pulls her to the ground. What the little girl failed to realize is that the bees buzzing around her head were bullets. She should have been killed. Holy, all for a teddy bear? All for a doll. Teddy bears aren't around yet. Oh, yeah, duh. One one survivor recalled walking. This is where it gets graphic. One one survivor recalled walking past a wailing baby whose arm was shattered by a... (gasps) He was laying on a dead woman's breast. A 15-year-old boy crawled beside an old woman who was shot. She urged the boy to go on, and it was the last time the woman was ever seen alive again. Women and children sought cover by the will- by the willows of the stream, only to run straight into soldiers charging the village. A five-year-old watched as his baby mother, as his mother and baby sister dropped silently and fell to a single bullet. A 10-year-old boy watched as a girl raised her arm up, and the wound was so big in her arm, he could see through it. Complete surprise. Merciless. Firing into teepees. They just didn't care? They were firing at anything that moved. What do you think was going through their head when they saw like kids dying and stuff? I think they didn't realize. I think like I don't know this. I've never been in battle. I'm going to assume in the chaos of it, they didn't realize what they were doing. They were following orders and anything that moved they shot at. And they don't And I guess like you said when you're going through probably high high stress you're like, we, I don't want to die. Right. Anything running at me, I'm going to shoot so I don't die. Right. If you want to blame, well, you can blame three people in here. Gibbon for ordering the attack. Howard for this whole plight. And I will keep going back to it. The Indian peace policy to me is the thing that's triggered this entire thing. But we can talk about that at the end. Joseph, meanwhile is holding his infant daughter at the opening moments of the battle. One of his wives was wounded in the opening moments. The chief, the chief left his teepee and ran to the north side of the camp where he ran right into soldiers and they barely missed getting out alive as the soldiers were running past them. Then Joseph notices something horrific. Not only were the soldiers firing into teepees, they were now starting to put them to fire they were starting to burn down the entire village joseph could do nothing but watch he was barefoot he wore just a shirt and had a blanket wrapped around his legs his wife two moons urged him to go save their daughter that was still in the tent so joseph obviously was holding his infant daughter he has a 12 year old daughter if you don't remember that fact who was still in the teepee joseph may be realizing that going into the camp to save his daughter might not be something he could realistically do, but there was something he could do, and that was save the herd. Without it, 
The Nest Purse could not travel, nor would they be able to carry the amount of food needed to keep running. Joseph crossed the stream and ran uphill towards the herd. Others too small to fight were following him. They found the herd and with two horses drove the rest of the herd far away from the soldiers. So basically Joseph and some teenagers saved the entire, all of the livestock in the middle of the chaos. He is good for something. He is. He, and I was joking before Joseph, he has some moments of, Oh, he's not a coward. He's just not a fighter, but that doesn't mean he's afraid, but. Let's go back to Gibbon, shall we? The wonderful, wonderful uh, Gibbon here. Thinking of total victory, Gibbon gave the order to burn teepees. However, this order was a mistake because what it did is it distracted the soldiers from attacking the Nez Perce and it gave them moments to regroup and now return fire. Gibbon now realized that entering the camp all of his men in the camp, he now just gave up the high ground. They were only in the village for 20 minutes before he noticed that they were now pinned down. They now have to spend the next hour of fighting to get out of the village that they just set on fire. Many soldiers getting picked off by the enemies that they couldn't see. The warriors themselves couldn't see and at times were firing blindly. In the chaos, Gibbon orders a retreat to cross the river in a timbered area out of view of the villagers and then just starts fortifying, waiting for a, for a second attack. However, that attack never happened. The fight now turned into a sniping duel between 60 Nez Perce led under Olicott and the snipers from Gibbon's forces. Fighting into the afternoon, the Nez Perce continued sniping at the soldiers. Several of the citizen volunteers had enough of the battle and just started running away. The only thing Gibbon can do is send messengers out to Howard, hoping that he will catch up very soon to, to cut off the Nez Perce. But for all intents and purposes, the Nez Perce are able to go back into their village since the start of the battle. And I say battle very loosely here. The Nez Perce entered the camp into a horrifying scene. Bodies were everywhere, some still in teepees. Survivors giving out their last cry. One Nez Perce saw a, a dead friend who he had made a death pact with. And now that his friend was dead, he now had to hold up his end of the death pact. He sang his death song, ran towards the soldiers, took a shot, only for the soldiers to return fire and to kill him in moments. Now, the number of deaths... Number quite a bit for the Nez Perce. Conservative numbers say 70. The higher end goes to 90. There is nothing to do but pick up and leave. Joseph brings the herd back to the village so they can start packing up and leave as soon as, as, as they can. The next day, the Nez Perce sharpshooters kept the soldiers holed up in their fortifications all day. The Nez Perce then left at night, leaving Gibbon and his soldiers alone, but immobile on the battlefield. Howard arrived hours after the Nez Perce left. The American casualties numbered about 60. So really, for a ambush, complete surprise, it's pretty good for them to regroup that bad. And when you consider 
um, all 60 of the American casualties were soldiers or volunteers, and a lot of the casualties for the Nez Perce were women and children and elderly. Their surviving Nez Perce are angry. They're angry that they're fleeing. They're angry that they're no longer in their homeland. They were, most importantly, angry at Looking Glass, who essentially dragged his feet and allowed the Americans to catch up. The immediate response from the Big Hole Massacre battle was they were going to send out warriors to collect horses to replenish the stock as they did lose some in the battle. And they did return with approximately 200. Not only did they replenish their herd, but it would also take away mounts from the U.S. Army when, they would, when they'd have to change out their horses. But, predictably, and as we have seen countless times in this podcast, when you send out warriors after an emotionally charged event such as a massacre... Things happen. Things happen, and they sure did. Ranchers weren't just, their livestock wasn't just stolen. They, they were, were killed. killed. They were burnt. That was, they returned the favor. It was no different than the ranches that were raided that started the fleeing to begin with. In the most basic terms, they were revenge killings. Not that you can condone murder, but I don't think you can blame them necessarily. Shockingly, the Nez Perce decide they needed a change in leadership. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, Looking Glass was not, not so popular. He, he wasn't up to stuff, huh? He sure wasn't. For some reason, now, it's not, obviously, we've, we've joked that Joseph was not really in consideration. But what I don't understand, why wasn't Olicott? He seemed to prove himself, but he's also not chosen here. Chosen here. In fact, they choose the newbie. They're going to go with Lean Elk or Poker Joe to continue the rest of the trip, mainly because he knows the area the best. Uh, he's basically going to be a scout heading into Crow territory. The plan was for them to get there as fast as possible, and he was the best guy to do it. Whoever was leading them would have to make decisions in a hurry. And if there's one thing Looking Glass would do, it definitely wasn't going to be happening in a hurry. Howard is not even a day behind them, even after he buries his dead from the, from the big hole. In fact, Howard was so close to the group that some Nez Perce had to hide as Howard's men walked past them at night. Real close. Real close. Howard can sense that he is near and had all the motivation to end this quickly. In the area the Nez Perce are, they're about to enter the basin of the Yellowstone River and then pass a small mountain range, which would be hard for the army to catch up to the Nez Perce. Howard takes a risk and splits his army with the thought that the smaller divisions would be quicker and they'd be able to catch the Nez Perce before they enter the basin. Once they get to that basin... They're now reaching the Great Plains, and then it becomes a sprint. Other than catching the Nest Purse, Howard has another thought on his mind. As they continue to go east towards, uh, towards the Great Plains, Howard's jurisdiction was coming to an end, and we're starting to enter 
Nelson A. Miles' territory and the newly appointed commander of the Yellowstone. He would soon then be sending an army to cut off the Nez Perce from the west. Now, depending on when that happened, Miles would be well within his right to take over the command. Depending on the source you use, Howard either welcomed it or he was going to do all he could to avoid Miles taking over the chase. The other thought on on Howard's mind was that General William Tecumseh Sherman, who had been behind Howard all along, was now thinking a change in leadership might be necessary and remained and recommended a replacement. But until the replacement caught up, Howard was still in control. Howard was going to do... Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Howard was going to do all he could to catch the Nest purse. And for the next several days, between August 20th and September 7th, Howard trails the Nez Perce, who are 20 to 50 miles away consistently, which isn't that big of a distance. It's about a day behind. They go through the Yellowstone and Montana. Howard is sometimes able to tell how close he is based off the dead Nez Perce bodies who had succumbed for their injuries from the big hole. Jeez. Which is a bit morbid. This one's fresh. We're close. Yeah. Because they didn't have time to stop and bury him or anything, huh? Not a lot, no. I mean, you're also talking like survivors after. Right. Yeah, it's just not. The big hole is uh, not a great moment in American military history or American history. Probably one of the less known massacres, but massacre nonetheless. So without putting out too much debate, Howard's uh, plan to cut off the Nez Perce before they go into the Yellowstone fails. The Nez Perce are now officially into Crow territory. Congratulations, Lean Elk. You've done it. You've gone. You've done the plan Looking Glass wanted to do. However, the Crow had no willing to help the Nez Perce at all. Really? They were an ally, though. Yeah, but the Americans are uh, quite mighty. And if you don't know, they tend to kill those who disagree with them. Right. So they were like, yeah, no, it becomes it's not even it's not even a debate with the crow because it doesn't even sound like there's a big meeting between the two sides. It's kind of like the crow kind of send an emissary to let the Nez Perce know, like, hey, just so you know, whoa, 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 stop what you're doing. Just turn around. We're not not going to do it. Not only are we not going to help you. We're going to help the Americans find you. (gasps) What? Yeah. So we're at this point where they like, gotta go. Yeah. Well now it's sitting bull. That's the only plan. It's the only thing they can do. They have to get out of America just so that they can buy themselves some time. They also don't know if sitting bull is going to welcome them with open arms. They're screwed at every corner. As the Nespers start to turn North. General Miles sends Colonel Sam Stur- Samuel Sturgis to help cut off the fleeting tribe. Again, he's divided his forces trying to cut them off. Sturgis. Sturgis. It is that Sturgis. So those who are familiar with South Dakota, it's that guy's. Yeah. There's a big biker rally now because of you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think because of him, but yes, it's uh, 
brings in a lot of money for the state. However, boy, does the reputation take a dive, doesn't it? Drive through court system that week. Which is fun. I don't know. <laughs> Some get drive up for burgers. You get a drive up for your DUI. <laughs> if you can't tell, me and Matt are not bikers. If you are a biker, that's great. That's you. That It's just not my thing. Sturgis is a tremendous pain to everyone in the Black Hills, just so you all know. <laughs> we'll take your tourist money, but Jesus H. Christ, are you all sometimes unbearable? Dang, it's like people rent out their lawns for an absorbent amount. I mean, dang, people trash everything too. But I'm sure Sturgis was a trashy dude as well. (laughs) Is that your segue back into the episode? (laughs) I like it. Let's find out. (laughs) Let's find out if he is a trashy person, shall we? Sturgis catches up with the Nest Purse on September 12th near Canyon Creek. He allows his exhausted men who have been riding for about two weeks to rest for the night before they make their attack. Now, it's a slight mistake because the Nez Perce do spot their fires. On September 13th, a very windy morning, the Nez Perce start heading into the canyon, hoping that they can evade the Americans once again. If the Nez Perce were able to beat the army to the canyon, it would be very difficult for the army to follow them up the steep walls, and they would once again be able to escape. Sturgis then split up his army and sent in Major Lewis Merrill and his battalion ahead of the top of a long ridge to cut off the Nez Perce to traversing the canyon below, which is interesting because he sends Merrill not to attack directly, but to go up a ridge and to fire down to essentially stop him that way. Did I mention it's a windy morning? You did. I did. Let me... Let me guess why that matters. Go ahead. Um, the arrows that the Nez Perce are going to be shooting are not going to be hitting. Uh, no, the bullets that the any, everyone is firing are not hitting. I was going to I was going to say that. Oh, I, I I always forget. Like back in the day, it was probably a pretty. The bullets weren't you know as fast. Well, they were rifled. They were more accurate. But yes, I don't think they have the accuracy they have today or the technology. Because like what? You can now Skype. You can now snipe someone from what? A half mile away. But you got to take in (laughs) longer. I think like a mile. Yeah. You just the scope. You just add in like. Well, I mean, you you like adjust the the scope and everything to adjust for wind and all that. So then your bullet flies. Curvature of the earth says the movie I watched (laughs) with Mark Wahlberg. Based on the true story. Yep. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, back then, what? There's still gunpowder, right? Like, you're still filling... No, they're rifles. I mean, oh, okay. yes, there's gunpowder, but, like... Well, it's I in mean, the bullet. Yeah. There's no... There's, there's no, no more, there's no more muzzle, and muzzle loading? Okay. Man, shows you how much I know about firearms. <laughs> and, like, the times. I don't know. I still said they were using arrows. I mean, come on. <laughs> This is just in general, and if you're a military historian, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. But if you're looking for a thousand-foot view as far as weapons, as far as I can tell, use the Civil War to divide up, like, not necessarily muzzle-loading, but think, like, muskets are essentially done by the Civil War, and now we have very modern weapons that we would start recognizing. Repeaters, cannon, well, we've always had cannons. Oh, yeah, duh, they had, yeah, they had, uh, like, Gatlin guns, you said? 
Yes, they would have more modern. That's the that's the crank one, right? And it's just like yes. And like they have um the howitzers, it's obviously it's the um oh what's the word? They shoot it up real high in the air and they mortar mortar there mortar there it is yes yep mm-hmm. I think that's right only only because I've had a lot of experience with those <laughs> right and I have not. I've read about them, but that's it. They could do some damage. All right. So anyway, the plan was for Mural to go up on the ridge and to fire down at them. Um, but the problem is the Nezpers were able to spot Merrill from a mile away, and his forces get scattered by rifle shots from the Nezpers, and they hold Merrill off for 10 minutes. Hearing that Merrill was cut off, Sturgis then changes strategies and orders a cavalry charge to the east, so the other side of the canyon uh, entrance, and not to necessarily attack the Nez Perce, but to head straight for the ponies. Same strategy we've been talking about before, why Joseph wanted to save them. You take away the ponies, they're not going to be able to head into the canyon. Fortunately for the Nez Perce, they use the 10 minutes of holding off Merrill to set up defensive positions and now had the high ground and were firing at the soldiers coming from the east. So not only do they have Merrill kind of pinned down, they have the other side pinned down too, while others are just entering the canyon as fast as they can. They hold off the soldiers until nightfall when most of the horse herd and the women and the children reached the plains and continued north. Not giving up, Sturgis and Merrill, with the remaining troops, reached the mouth of the canyon, and the Nez Perce were now in complete control of the area. If there was any hope of any further pursuit, the army would have to take out the snipers of the Nez Perce, which would obviously be time-consuming, because it's not like they're just standing out in the open sniping them. So the order now was to wait for the rest of Sturgis's men to catch up and use overwhelming force in a and to do a pincer attack on the warriors. Once they do so, they charge the Nez Perce, who continue to fire at the army, and, but the charge is halted when the terrain becomes too steep. The men hold off their horses and set off on foot. Once the men, the army gets to the top of the ridge, the snipers were gone. After a mile of marching and after a brief fire exchange, the Nez Perce have done it again. (laughs) Suckers. And two days later, Howard catches up to Canyon Creek. (laughs) (laughs) No way. That he was that far behind? Well, it was only two days. He's been two days behind the entire time. Do you want to know how we know he's been two days behind the entire time? Because the uh, the natives have a new nickname for General Howard. Do you want to know what Slow it is? Boat. No, it's General Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Are they, is it really? Yes. Uh, that's awesome. And it is my favorite, I think. It's been a while since I've asked you this, but go ahead and rank General Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> I love that one. That's like a solid eight, eight and a half. That, that is like the perfect amount of like sarcasm and bitter truth. <laughs> and I love it. I'm here for it. That's what I want to. That's what I want in my history. <laughs> so. 
Now, to this point, the Nez Perce have been running for over a hundred days. They had been on the run since June, and we are now in the middle to late part of September. It's getting cold, and they had countered the enemy at least three times in major events, plus small skirmishes on the side. They're exhausted, but now they only need to head north a couple hundred miles, and by like 180 miles is all they need to make it. And if you were to ask the American Army, an individual soldier in the Army right now, they would probably tell you the Nez Perce are going to make it. We're not going to be able to catch them. Some in the tribe even began to think the same, think even thinking of their new life they would have in Canada. But Lean Elk really wants to get there like now. Do you not see what's been happening the last couple months? Let's just get there and then rest. But the, but the Nez Perce are spent. Again, I've mentioned it countless times. If it's a drinking game, you'd be drunk by this point. Women, which obviously that's not an issue, the elderly and the children are exhausted. The Nez Perce are consistently losing like two dozen horses every other day because they're dying. A person would just be left behind if they could no longer walk. To just die? They just to die. There was no other option. They had to keep pushing hard. I'm assuming it's a little different if it was a child. They would carry them, but if they fell behind, they would be left. Bruh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're trying to save. Well, now the majority. The, they're trying to save what's left of the 650 ish. The supplies that they had gathered on the raids just coming out of the big hole uh, were running out. Again, the horses were tired. So the Nez Perce have a think. They have another meeting and they're like, you know, Poker Joe, you've done great. You have gotten us here, but I think we're going to do it. So I think if you're going to keep pushing us this hard, we're going we're gonna to choose someone else. We want one last change in leadership. Any volunteers? They look around, and there's one person raising his hand way in the back, probably with some duct tape over his mouth. The guy we weren't going to talk about, you said uh, Coyote Yellow or Yellow Coyote. No, no, not Yellow Wolf. He's still back there. <laughs> yeah. <but nope. laughs> no, we've definitely talked about him. Do you want to take a See, guess? Joseph. <laughs> not Joseph. Oh. Looking um, glass. Oh, again? Looking Glass raises his hand and is like, I can take it from here. I will go at the correct pace this time, and I will not put us in danger. Does everyone trust me? Everyone trusts me. Okay, great. And some of them were actually looking at him like, you know what? He's learned his lesson. (laughs) Oh, no. I think this will be fine. Lean Elk um, gave his very honest opinion. Do you want to know what it is? This is a quote. Okay. (laughs) Quote, okay, looking glass, you can lead. I am trying to save the people, doing my best to cross into the old woman country before the soldiers find us. You can take control, but I think we will be caught and killed. (laughs) I mean, sure, dude. Uh, You're going to get us killed, but whatever. Sure. 
if you're how about this guys he's gonna get us killed but whoopity do i guess you guys want to be killed which to lean elk's point it's fair i can see why they need to slow down and lean elk is just like nope keep going keep going keep going keep going look at what they've just gone through in the last hundred days there's a reason that they need to keep going but you can kind of see like we got to have people to actually cross the border. We can't just right. kill them off like on the way, you know? Right. So looking glasses back in charge. Now I touched on this very briefly. The pace for the last hundred days has been about 20 miles a day, roughly when they've been going in between battles, it's been 20, 25 miles a day. The pace load to 10 miles a day under looking glass. And which means at this pace, they're 18 days away from Canada. Every day they would knock out another 10 miles, but there's always a suspicious eye towards the military in the back. When they see a herd of buffalo stampede, some believe the stampede was caused by the army. Looking Glass, a man who has way too much confidence at this point, is seen going through the camp and refused to believe that the army was anywhere close. Where have we heard this before? Why don't you backtrack this this show 30 minutes? And it's basically the same story. He then says not every sign needs to be interpreted as a sign of doom. And he was heard telling his tribemen, tribe men, quote, plenty, plenty time. A few more days pass and still no sight of the military. There's another 10 days off or 10 miles off then another 10 miles off the next day. Looking Glass is heard saying that there was no need to rush, build fires, cook breakfast, give the children time to eat. Afterwards, we will pick up and leave. Then they set camp near the Bear Palm Mountain, near the Snake Creek. They are 42 miles away from Canada. They are so close to Canada they can hear them saying, oh, Canada. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They can barely hear it, but it's right there. They can see it. They can smell the they can smell the Canadian bacon, right? That's right. Which is definitely not ham. <laughs> oh, I was going to. You, you took my punch. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pull that trigger quick. <laughs> So 42 miles away from Canada and only about a hundred miles away from sitting bull. Like they're so close. They haven't seen soldiers in days. So before, okay. So if they make it to Canada, they're good. So the American army will not chase them into Canada. Well, they can't because then it becomes an international incident. Now, two thoughts on that. We saw in Sitting Bull's episode, the Canadians weren't particularly thrilled to be involved in all of this. And we saw in the Apache episodes, the Americans definitely aren't uh, above going over the border just a, just a smidgen. Just a bit. scooch. Just, just a scooch. Well, that's why freaking even once they make it into Canada, they're still 60 miles away from Sitting Bull. Right. There's a reason Sitting Bull did not put up like a foot on the Canadian border. He wasn't just sticking his tongue out at the Americans. And turn around and go, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. 
yes, you have to be more than a stone's throw away from the Canadians in order to uh, to get there. But yeah, you will be shocked to know that on September 29th, they notice that the army was right behind them. But this wasn't General Day after tomorrow. Howard is still two days away. A couple days out. <laughs> but who it is, is Nelson A. Miles, who has brand new troops. Fresh. fresh. Very fresh. And trained. Crap. Yep. Now, the Nespers don't know that yet. That's going to dawn on them very quickly. But the soldiers were spotted, and they were quickly charging towards them. There's about 150 warriors. Now, they've been outnumbered pretty much the entire time, but this is very different. People start shouting in the chaos, and they run through the camp. Joseph ordered anyone who would listen to get the horses. Several followed Joseph into the sna- to cross the Snake River, Dozens of women and children were already among the horses trying to pack them. Joseph gave his 12-year-old daughter some rope to gather a horse when gunfire ran through the herd and the horses panicked and fled. When they noticed the unfamiliar war bonnets of natives now were entering the, the area, they were Cheyenne, and they were there to help out Miles. They were shooting the Nez Perce at point-blank range. Jeez. With this movement, the horses were all gone, and the Nez Perce had no way to flee. Were they like, you did it again, you son of a beep? Uh, It wasn't a did it again, it's we weren't able to do it this time. They had been able to do this a couple of times already. But this is the first time the horses are now gone. The fear they've had the last two battles is here. Olicott immediately grabs his rifle and a small group of men, and he takes shelter behind a rock to come to face off the oncoming forces. When he notices there's about 500 men coming their way. Oh, boy. People in the village start uh, start shouting in the chaos and run through the through the camp. Joseph, who has used the strategy of save the horses before, starts barking at anyone who would listen that they need to cross the Snake Creek and they need to save the horses. Dozens of women and children are already among the horses when they try to save them. Joseph crosses the river with his 12-year-old daughter and he hands her rope to gather a horse in the gunfire. When suddenly they start seeing war bonnets that they're not familiar with. They were Cheyenne, and they were here to help Nelson Miles. They started shooting the Nez Perce at point-blank range. Did the Cheyenne just have, like, a a deal with the Americans, or was this, like... They get, like, better stuff or what? I mean, they're allies. Right. You know, so, yeah, they're going to have a benefit to seeing them, but yes. With this, between the panic and just obviously with the battle and now that natives were shooting at them, the chaos allows the Cheyenne to drive away the Nez Perce herd. 
So everything we have been saying up to this point about how bad they need the ponies and they need to need this to get to Canada, they're now gone. Overwhelming force, and now they don't have a chance to leave. This is very real. Now, Joseph is safe, but he got separated from his daughter. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't find what happened to his daughter. I presume she lived because there's a brief mention of her later, I think. Okay, okay, but okay, okay, that's good. That's at good. this point, he does not know. So his 12-year-old daughter is now missing. The army was now between Joseph and his two wives and infant daughter, and he was desperate to get back to them. He manages to gather a horse. Joseph is unarmed, and he rides past the two battle lines. He cuts right through the American and Cheyenne forces, bullets tearing through his clothes, and he could feel his horse flinch with as it's being shot. He rode past a group of Nez Perce, where he recognizes that Tula Hozota was laying dead. No. He and five others were left without cover when the cavalry overwhelmed them. Joseph then reaches his camp where his two wives and his baby daughter. He is handed his rifle and heads up to the bluff where he knows Olakot was headed. Joseph runs to the aid of to his brother, where then he realizes that Olakot had also been killed. Dang. So this is the end. After Joseph re- recognizes that his brother is dead, he has very little time to grieve as the panic Nez Perce were now just firing anything that moved. And unfortunately, they were sometimes shooting at Nez Perce. One of those Nez Perce killed in friendly fire was Lean Elk. Oh, no. Everyone's dying. In one charge, Tula Hozota, Olakot, and Lean Elk are now gone. Where's Looking Glass? He's still alive. Having to regroup again, Joseph heads back to the creek to be with his people, but they are now completely surrounded by either the army, a steep hill, or the street or their Snake Creek. But somehow, the Nez Perce were able to hold off the army to stop a full-on massacre. And when I mean they were able to stop off the army, there's reports that both side, the firing lines were 20 feet apart from each other. That's how close they were. And the Nez Perce were able to push them back. And then, of course, it started to snow. Of course, to make things worse. By the end of the next day, October 1st, there would be five inches on the ground. Now, overnight, going from September 30th to October 4th, soldiers make trenches and they set up a siege about 100 yards away. Joseph is managing to gather order on his side of the camp. Looking glass is a couple couple yards. He's in a trench keeping a lookout when he pokes his head over a rock and is immediately killed. Looking Glass is now dead. What's up here? Bang! Yeah. Not your head. Essentially, that's how it happened. He looked over the rock and it just, that's it. Lights were out. Can't they just give up? Well, that's kind of the discussion now. (laughs) The tribe is stuck. Not quite without hope. 
because some were able to to flee before the rest got got caged in. Many believe that they're going to head to Sitting Bull and his 2,000 strong village just north of the border. Now, if they go to the pace they were, they could probably cover 30 miles a day. They're three days out. And if they could hold off the American army for a week, there's hope that Sitting Bull would come to save the day. They just have to hold on. But other than Joseph and a man named Yellow Wolf, that's it for leadership. And after the main attack, there's not that many warriors left. So if they're going to survive the siege for Sitting Bull to, to, to get down to help them, it's going to have to be the Americans not attacking. With no other real alternatives, Joseph is chief again, and Joseph has been claiming for surrender for a while, but he is pushing for it again. The entire time, what I haven't really covered is every time there's been a debate on who's going to lead us, Joseph has been chiming in like, what if we give up? Like, this is bad, but if we keep going on, it's only going to get worse. Like, let's stop, cut our losses, and see if we can't negotiate better terms. After all, we can explain a lot of what happened. The Americans are rational people, right? They'll listen to us. He said out loud to crickets, probably. But yeah, it's not great. But now Joseph is in charge. And it's looking like surrender might be the absolute best option. And the only reason he's in charge is because everyone else is dead. Yes. Now, there is a war chief called Yellow Wolf, who, again, we've been putting in the background. <laughs> hey, guys, over here. I'm right here. Who is the war chief? So, like, if, if fighting is going to happen, it's probably going to be charge. Yellow Wolf. But let's be it's like Yellow Wolf and, like, two sticks at this point. There's really no one left to fight. Early in the morning of October 1st, Miles calls for a truce and sends a man under under a white flag to meet up with Joseph. The same morning that Looking Glass was killed, Joseph is actually in the same quarters as Miles, and they're taught and they're debating what the next moves are. Miles demanded to surrender and for all the weapons to be turned over. And for the first time since he fled, again, Joseph was in charge and negotiating. And Joseph's opening line was, I shall give you half my arms. I will retain half of them for use to kill game for my family. Miles then promised that they would have their weapons returned to them after the war was over, where Joseph replied, I am not talking about surrender. I am talking about an agreement to stop fighting. We have no surrender to make, as we have never been in any war. If this had been a war, the Nez Perce would have killed soldiers many times over. Only the soldiers were treating this like a war, killing women and children. Do you remember Joseph I mean, was a really good speaker? Yeah. I mean, he ain't wrong. <laughs> He's then now there's some there's some outliers there. After the big hole, there was revenge killings. But they just had their family massacred like on a large scale. This is where we have to remember, oh yeah, Joseph might be the best guy to be talking to Miles here. But yes, in every encounter, it has been the military attacking them. It has not been the Nez Perce attacking the Americans. Miles then told Joseph to head back to his camp to tell his people to surrender. 
But just when Joseph was making his way outside, Miles apparently did a bit of a nod to Joseph. And then soldiers blocked the, at the exit to the tent. Joseph simply nodded back at Miles because he now understood he would not be leaving. He was now a prisoner of war. Miles was under the assumption that Joseph was in charge of the entire retreat. And he had little, when in reality, Joseph had little to do with the warrior. So even if Joseph was surrendering, or even if Joseph was in Miles' camp, it's not like he's making the battle plans. He has very little to do with the reaction to it other than maybe the initial surrender. But Joseph kept that to himself. Knowing that the warriors wouldn't immediately surrender, Joseph wouldn't put up a fight and instead allows himself to be taken. As Joseph was taken prisoner, Miles sends a man named Jerome to talk with the Nez Perce. As he was in the camp, word gets back that Joseph is now being held under Miles. Jerome was then promptly taken prisoner as well. And not much drama here. Joseph and Jerome would be traded literally the next day with little fanfare. And they even shake hands in between like the two lines, which is kind of cute, I guess. A little baffling that they're going to shake hands on the way out. Honestly, the only reason I'm telling you this is that I believe, and this is me, I have not been able to confirm this anywhere, but Miles kind of put up a ruse. He held Joseph for a day. He sent Jerome around the same time that Miles that Miles was holding Joseph. Jerome now knows where the camp is specifically, specific tents. He knows the area much better now. You'll be shocked to know the day after the exchange, the Americans start shelling the camp with much more accuracy. <sighs> One shell getting so close, it killed a 12-year-old and their grandmother. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, um, General Howard just caught up with the camp just now. Guys, what I miss, we're here. Just catch me up. Oh, well, sir, we've basically done it, but thank you for getting here at the last minute. I to take all the credit. Essentially. Well, here's where we get into that. That can be, well, actually, that's probably Howard's episode. Howard's episode, by the way, is going to be about 97 hours long. The man did a lot. <laughs> Because we're we're talking mainly Joseph here, but like he has his own side, and I I don't necessarily disagree. I disagree with what Howard had to do, but Howard was following orders. I'm blaming the Indian peace policy, and I will say it until the day I die. Howard is just. We'll get into it in this episode. I'll shut up now. This is Joseph. The next day or so is the debate among the around. The next day or so is more of a debate among the Nez Perce. Other than a few nights, they realize that holes in the American lines that they could sneak away and flee to Canada. But Joseph doesn't want to flee. He's not going to stop anyone from fleeing, but he doesn't want to leave anyone behind. The entire trip, he has been trying to protect those who might or aren't really able to protect themselves. Joseph argument is if you leave the healthy ones who are able to run, if you leave quote, 
but whatever happens to women and children? Do you see horses to carry the wounded, moccasins to cover the feet of our elders? Do you think we can walk far enough in the snow to elude the soldiers on horseback when they notice that they are gone? And what are the Cheyennes? At least we are dug in here and safe from the bullets of the soldiers. For the first time, you're probably like the, the Nespers were like, you know what, Joseph, you're making a lot of sense. I kind of like it when you're doing it to the other side, but I guess you have a point. But that doesn't stop about 200 of them from fleeing. They're going to head to Canada, including Olicott's wife, now widow. And I believe also Joseph's 12-year-old daughter, who I think was separated, so maybe she didn't have a choice but to flee, but I think that's, that's the note on her. On October 5th, Joseph is now willing to accept the terms of the Americans because there's quite literally no other option for him to do. He would recall that, quote, I could not bear to see the sight of my wounded men and women suffer any longer. We had lost enough already. My people needed rest. We wanted peace. And with permission from his tribe, Joseph jumps on his horse and starts riding towards Miles and Howard. Joseph ro rode towards the Americans with his rifle in his lap, got off of his horse, and he presented his rifle to General Howard, who then defaulted and made a motion to Miles and said that Joseph should surrender the rifle over to Miles because he's the one that really caused the surrender. Now, Matt, you're in the military. How big of a deal is that for Howard to give credit to Miles? Probably big, especially back then, like, because Howard was the one that started the whole fiasco in the first one. He's been chasing him since the beginning. Yes, this was his assignment. But he also relinquished command, right? He never relinquished. He was moving out of his jurisdiction, but this was definitely Howard. right. Right. But he had, right. <laughs> I would say that's everything. Cause he, Howard could have been like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Take care of me. That's right. Give, give me, me that me. weapon. Yeah. Which is what makes Howard so fascinating. Cause he is at heart, kind of a humble person at moments, but. So now with Joseph officially surrendered, they allow Joseph to speak. Now what is said might not be his exact quote, but it's been written and transcribed a couple of times. The last line he 100% said, and that's probably what you're going to recognize, but his entire speech was, tell General Howard, I know his heart. What he told me before, I have in my heart. I am tired of fighting. Our chiefs are killed. Looking Glass is dead. Tula Hozote is dead. The old men are all dead. It is the young men who say yes or no. He who now leads the young men are now dead. It is cold, and we have no blankets. The little children are freezing to death. My people, some of them, have run away into the hills and have no blankets, no food. No one knows where they are. Perhaps they are freezing to death. I want to have time to look for my children and to see if I can, and see if I can find as many as I can. Maybe I shall find them among the dead. He then turned around to his band and said, Hear me, my chiefs. I am tired. My heart is sick 
and sad. From where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever. From there, the Nez Perce started turning over their rifles. The Nez Perce War is now over. Let the healing begin. Yeah. <laughs> About that. Do you want to know how far the Nez Perce have traveled? Uh, they went far. <laughs> uh, what was it, like 12, 1,300 miles? 1,170 miles. They were so close! They, they were, were so close! To be cut off 42 miles away from the border. So now, my, what I was going to, my question, do they have to march back? Well, that's the debate. Short term, yes. Howard and their agreement. Um, Howard and Miles both agree that Joseph will be able to return home. In the initial talks, how many times have we heard that? In the initial right. talks, yeah, you can return Sure, 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 home. sure. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. But first, you have to stop in Minnesota. And I know what you're thinking. Minnesota is in the exact opposite direction of Washington. So they have to go keep going to Minnesota. Yep. And then they will hopefully be able to return back. That is the plan. It's the plan. What happens? Before we go into what happens, we need to discover what has happened to Joseph. Now, Joseph was a big deal before the Nez Perce War 100 days ago, but now he has been in the newspapers pretty much every day and it now has a it's now a nationwide celebrity. The newspapers believe he was the leader the entire time. And if you think of it, he was the he one wasn't. That, he wasn't at all, but he was the one that surrendered and he was the one that was talked about as the mastermind of the fleeing at the start of it. So it's not necessarily it's not correct information, but it's the information they had. Joseph was in sensation and even has a dinner shortly after the surrender with William Tecumseh's sermon in a public event shortly after. Despite the initial celebrity, the, it turned sour pretty quick. Even by the next year, in July 1878, the Nez Perce were told they weren't going to be heading back to the Pacific Northwest. Instead, they would be heading to Kansas. They stay there for a short time, and then they're relocated 20 miles south of that. Basically closer to Oklahoma. So, wait, wait, wait. So, they're like, you can go home. And then they're like, psych, you're going south to Kansas. Howard and Miles said they could go home. Congress. Who told them not? Uh, Congress. Mm, Washington. There's always a boss. There's yeah. always a boss. Yep. Um, What's the reasoning behind that? They just didn't want them? It was too emotionally charged for the Nez Perce to return to their homeland. That the bad blood would cause riots and unsettling in the area. Like if they were to go home, it would, the same thing would essentially happen. Yes, but now like the non-treaty Nez Perce, because remember, they're still chilling out there. They've been on the reservation for years. Uh, to welcome Joseph back would be 
I don't want to say jarring, but chaos. Yes. The potential for chaos. I personally don't buy it. The real reason was they wanted the Wallala Valley. That's why they were moving them off anyway. Right. Yeah. They're gone. They did it for us. Let's yeah. not let them go back. Exactly. So it's, you can kill two birds with one stone. I don't care what the surrendering officer told you. You're just not the one in charge making that decision. So, yeah. Now, for people who have spent their entire lives in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the summers near Oklahoma are much different than the ones in the uh, near near the ocean. They're mosquito invested in the spring and summer, and when it turned winter, the cramped quarters exposed the tribe to diseases such as tuberculosis and pneumonia. The first to die were the women and children, and with no weapons. They couldn't hunt anymore. The rations that they were promised they would get because they didn't have any weapons were slow to show up or were spoiled when they arrived. Typical. Yeah, we've said that at least three times in three separate episodes. Yeah. In the fall of 1878, a senator visited and reported back to Washington that at least one fifth of the captives had died in agony and predicted that ev- that two Nez Perce will die to every one Nez Perce that is born. Among those in exile, he said that the slow and deadly poison of cloud hangs over them day and night. Their tents are silent as a tomb and the silence is broken up when the cries rang out from the camp whenever somebody was dead. And they probably were like, good. Keep them there. Keep them there, yes, but public sympathy can only go so far. There's never a good headline where it says women and children are dying, that the public doesn't start getting behind whoever that is happening. Joseph uses his celebrity to talk about reservation life, and his people simply wanted to go home, and they were refused. When this seems to run on deaf ears, Joseph changed strategies and his speeches started talking more about rights and that there should be one set of rules for all. In one speech, he said, quote, we should have one law govern us all and we should all live together, that they should be able to come and go as they please and be governed all alike. Quote, liberty is good and great. When a person can't come and go as he pleases, it is not good to keep us here as prisoners. It is hard to make us live in that way. Uh, He's making a lot of sense. I mean, why can't there be one set of laws for everyone? And everyone goes, because it's getting pretty late. We got to go. We got to talk. (laughs) You just sorry that was the buzzer that was you covering your mouth no it was the buzzer it's time to go it's dinner time everyone shut up forget he said that did anything ever happen or not there but i will so like natives aren't going to get citizenship for a while but i will give joseph a lot of credit because he is starting that conversation now in 1878 like this will build so all he's talking about is how he just wants to go home and everyone needs to be treated equally. Essentially. And his the point is like, why do we need to stay on this reservation as a prisoner of war? Just let us be citizens and let us have the same rights everyone else has. And let right. us go home where we want to be. 
Right. Why can't we do that? And again, everyone is like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. After eight years of speeches and writing combined, Joseph has some unexpected allies come to the Nez Perce aid. Nelson A. Miles and Oliver Otis Howard, as well as histories are being written about the Nez Perce War. And Joseph finally is able to convince Congress to move his people back out to the Pacific Northwest. Not on the Wallala Valley, which is where he really wants to go, but this is better. He's closer. They're going to go on to the newly formed Colville Indian Reservation, which is just a couple hundred miles off. Now, for the next two decades, Joseph will be making speeches in the public. One was a very famous speech he gave at Lincoln Hall, and one, in, and one of the reviewers of those speeches, Joseph, in that one hour he gave, he would give the history of the Nez Perce, everything they, all of the injustice that he had gone through, and turned out the reviews were very positive. One reviewer said Joseph would make them angry, sad, and make them laugh in the hour-long speech. And in the speech, Joseph would point and blame Howard, his short deadline to reach the reservation, the lies he said that they would be able to stay on the land, and how he arrested Tula Hozota at the, at the arrest to start the Nez Perce War. Without Howard, there would be no, or with Howard, he was the reason for the war. Right. Which is. So it was all his fault. Yes. Which is accurate. Howard's decisions were the reason it got, it, it happened. But Howard, I, again, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop defending him because I sound like a real. <laughs> I don't even want to defend him that bad. I just want to say there's a little bit more to this dude than think meets the eye. He what took it comes being, across. Being a soldier was very, 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 very important to him. And he was going to let his personal feelings slide to become a soldier. Depending on your source, there are some sources who are very sour on him, as they probably should be. And maybe I'm just too light on him, but he, uh, he'll he get his, his shot to be ranked, and we'll see how many points he doesn't get. <laughs> as the years goes on, Joseph converts to Christianity and continues to write to get his people back home in the Wallala Valley. He continues to write Oliver Otis Howard. Nelson A. Miles, and anyone who would listen. He is denied time and time again to go back home. Howard would write back to Joseph saying that he should just start enjoying his new life near his home rather than just stop, rather than keep bringing up that he's not in the place he wants to be. Joseph would write to every Indian, every commissioner of Indian territory Oh, sorry, every commissioner of the Indian Bureau with an argument that his ties to the Nez Perce to the area were still there and the commissioner has to prove that there was no land available for them. If there was land not being used, why can't we move on it? Now, this argument is persuasive enough that they're going to allow Joseph to go tour the area. But when he goes and visits the area, it's kind of like the Indian agent had his decision made before he even went there. 
shortly after Joseph toured, which, by the way, there was room for the Nez Perce to settle on the place they wanted to be. They even kind of like scoped out the area. Joseph picked some land and it was still denied on the grounds that it was just too emotionally charged. That years later, years later, should the Nez Perce show up and live here, uh, Joseph would be assassinated within a year. Sorry, can't disrupt it. As the 19th century, century turns into the 1900s, Joseph continues touring and giving speeches to go back home. He rides in the parade to celebrate uh, Grant's tomb. He, Geronimo, and Red Cloud are in the parade for Teddy Roosevelt's inauguration in 1903. And he gives a speech to West Point's graduates sitting right next to Oliver Otis Howard. They give back-to-back speeches. Now, this will probably be what will blow your mind. Are you ready to have your mind blown? Are you ready for this? Heck yeah. In 1903, Chief Joseph watched an American football game from the stands. What? No way. Picture that in your head. (laughs) That's weird. After the game, all the players left the field to shake his hand. Uh, Joseph was now in his 60s and slowing down and is spending more time on his reservation and his home. His health deteriorates until September 21st, 1904, while on his deathbed, he asks his wife to grab his headdress from a small shed outside. By the time she came back, he had passed away. Dang. He was 64 years old. Hmm. And they never got to go home. Never got to. Did they eventually, like, the rest of the tribe, what's left after Chief Joseph? Did they, they never, they never did? No. Hmm. Yeah, I wish there was a happy ending. There's not. He deserved a happy ending. I bet ending. if they asked him today, they would still say, yeah, it's too, it's too right. hard. 140 years after it, yeah, it's still... Still too much. So let's rank him, shall we? <laughs> First round, are you satisfied? This is our biography round where we'll be handing out negative 10 points apiece to positive 10 points apiece, depending on how well we liked his story. It's a real downer. Here's the thing. Chief Joe, as I know him. Um... Did a lot of talking. Not a lot else. Here's what really ground my gears towards the end, okay? The fact that everyone was stepping up, you know, "Ah," and he was just like, I ain't it. No, I get it. I get it. He's not a war chief. Fighting's not in his nature. He saved some horses. But how do you really feel? He was the only one alive. So I feel like he got all the credit. Yes. So while he did do a lot, I will say his speeches were great. Like he fought for his people to the very end. 
but he was a hero by happenstance. Aren't all heroes heroes by happenstance? Yeah, but they at least did something. Okay, so we went off. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He 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 surrendered. That's what he did. I forgot. Yep, he did surrender. Yes. Now, your point. Joseph is a fairly can be a fairly divisive figure in the Nez purse. I'm taking that from Kent Nurburn for that exact point. Why does Joseph get all of the credit? He just spoke. He didn't actually lead anything when it mattered and then surrendered at the end and then got credit for everything. That is a valid point that many Nez purse current, like living Nez purse would agree with you, but I will counter that he was doing everything for his people. He followed like he wasn't a dictator like the native Americans. So they weren't going to follow him anyway, but every decision he made was for the betterment of his people. And he was going to rely on his ability to make the situation better. Now, when they're running and they're fleeing, he's out of his element. But what he did do is he kept the band and the livestock together. Right. Which is huge. That I think yeah, deserves I agree. I agree. a lot of credit. But if some it, credit. But it's not like he was a coward either. Because he right. had two moments where he, he ran back, grabbed his rifle. Right. And then in the final battle of uh of the bear. Oh, Pond when Hunt, he went through when he went through uh the Nez Perce, the Cheyenne, and the American army. Yes. He is not a coward. Bullets were shooting. I'm shocked he didn't die there. He probably I mean, bullets were have. going th- <laughs> um but, but, mm-hmm. what about the other guys? What about, uh, oh my God, Looking Glass? What about <laughs> name I can't pronounce? Tula Hazota. Tula Hazota. What about a uh, gentleman with an A who I also can't Olicott. pronounce? Olicott. What about them? I'm saying they also deserve credit. But let's be honest, how many, if this was Looking Glasses episode, this would be a negative score because he put his people in danger. This is like Tenskwatawa level of irresponsibility. <laughs> yeah, take hey, your don't time. Be, don't be bashing on my, my buddy Tensk, okay? <laughs> I will. I will do it every time. It is with, the, for, for those reasons, I'm telling you. I'm going to give him a six and a half. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I was ready to be outraged because I thought you were going to go like one or two area. No. I was going to say, if this was a movie, they outran the military for 1,200 miles. <laughs> not because of Joseph. He was keeping uh, them together, Matthew. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Wink. Just because they can't see me, wink. What do you give them? What do you give them? I'm going to give them a (laughs) 6.5. Isn't it interesting that very different. We like the story. We clearly like the story. I was never going to be that high for the same reasons you pointed out. I just, I was very worried you were going to say one because no, he didn't do anything. I think no, I think he did a lot, but it just at the end of the day, he shouldn't have got all the credit he got. 
This is correct. He is known for the I will fight no more forever. That is a line that is said in every history class whenever you cover the Nez Perce of the Indian Wars. And he's known for being very articulate and probably the smartest man in the room who demanded, like, your attention when he spoke. I do also want to give him credit for essentially being a civil rights advocate. Right. Because not. Hey, equal rights. He wanted equal rights. Everyone should be treated equal under one law. And he he argued uh, to a point where they could not battle back with him. So I think he he needs more credit for that. But yes, he deserves less credit for the actual flight of the Nez Perce. So I think 6.5 is completely fair if you do a two-episode part. So 13 altogether. 13. Next round. Be sure you are right and go ahead. This is our morality round. We're going to be handing out negative 10 points apiece to positive 10 points apiece, depending on how well we think he is personally. I mean, at the end of the day, he was, you know, moral. Like he, A, didn't even fight. Didn't want to fight. He wanted to fight with words, was always shooting for his people. I mean, to the very, very end, even when they surrendered, I mean, he always fought for his people. He was always, you know, writing letters and trying yep. to get home. I will even say during the time, because it was clear that he wanted to go home the entire trip and he went along with what his people wanted. He didn't want right, to, but he, but he wanted to surrender. Yes. He, from day one, again. I think he believed in his talents that he would make any such, he could talk his way out of any situation. I, for this reason, mm-hmm. I'm going to say eight, eight. What are you, what are you thinking? I'm trying to think of one fault. Why does he not deserve 10? He tried to save his daughter in the final battle. He went Mm -hmm. up to to save his brother during the final battle. He Mm -hmm. dominated negotiations before they even had to flee, as we talked about in the first episode. He was following his parents' orders to never leave his homeland to, you know, forget it. He made that his life's mission, and he did everything for his people. Why does he not get a 10? He didn't fight hard enough. That's not morality. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we technically uh, have a round for fighting. He's not going to do well at it, FYI. But... Well, because. Exactly. Let that silence <laughs> hit you. It's so stupid, Eric. God. Fun. what are you giving him, a 10? Well, yeah. Did I just Chief Joseph you? <laughs> Did I have a point so good you couldn't counter it? Oh, uh, fine. Okay, fine. Ten. Jeez. Thank you, Howard. <laughs> you so <laughs> The amount of smug that I am looking at Matt right now. Uh, pretty hot. Did, I especially love that. Did I just cheat, cheat Joseph? You? 
Just go to the next round. That is a 20. <laughs> next round. To hell with the consequences. We're going to be had we're going to be handing out negative 10 points a piece if he's crazy. We're going to be handing out positive 10 points if we think he's clever or nothing if he's something in between. Matt? I don't think he was clever. Uh, well, maybe smart. with his words. With his words. Yeah, is eloquent clever? Um, no, not really. I don't think so. so he obviously smart. wasn't crazy. He was passionate. He was? I think he was clever in his arguments. He, right, like he knew what to say to be right. Yes. So that's why I'm going to say three. I don't think he was like, oh, the biggest genius that's ever walked the earth. See, I don't know. Like, what was he bad at fighting? He was he was not mm-hmm. a fighter. But we don't even know he was bad at fighting. As far as we know, he might have had the best aim of anyone in history. Maybe he just wanted to be a pacifist. Who knows? Right. Like, what, So, like, yeah, the jury is still out on that. But I don't. The number I was thinking of was five. So it's not like I think a three is completely. uh... I just don't think like he did anything to totally outclass outside of his words, right? Outside of his words, because he is in a league of his own. That hurts. I agree. I I would agree with that. I mean, he had some really great speeches and left a lot of people angry that they couldn't counter argue right and angry not because he definitely would have been the captain of the debate team yes so so i think i'm even questioning like i do i'm gonna raise mine to six i'm gonna go with a solid six i also feel like too high on this guy here i do like him I also know there's a round that um, he's not going to go. He's not going to get any points. <laughs> um, not that I'm trying to pad a score, but I also think if if we get some some negative feedback on this episode, I do think it'll be on this round because I think however you interpret clever will be how you score this. So I'm going to go six, but I don't. I can understand your three because he's he's elite in speaking and debate but there's not not much else to go on after that now chief joseph he is positive he's at 42 points because he is positive we're going to lock in his score we're going to continue to add points on from here if he had been negative we would continue to subtract points but now next round draw if we were in a duel with chief joseph how screwed are we on a scale of one to ten Zero. About to say, how big is your zero in this? In this? <laughs> you know me; I always go low. <laughs> I can't. Can we go negative? <laughs> Can I just give him negative? <laughs> no, you can't. What are you saying? In the same right, I'm thinking like, how does he not get a ten in morality? How does he get not get a zero and draw? <laughs> I'm sure he could fight. It's just we don't know. Was it even right? Was it even like anyone talk about it? No. I don't. I don't think because he's not going to fight us. He literally said the words, "I will fight no more forever." But 
It doesn't mean he's a coward. This has nothing to do with his bravery. Right. Because even like the underrated like uh, thing we haven't brought up yet, he did go to Miles the day after his brother, Looking Glass, Tula Hazota, and Looking Glass were all dead, were killed. He uh, went up to to Nelson Miles that night and was starting to talk surrender. Because he knew. Well, he knew it was over, but like you don't know what Miles is going to do to you inside the camp. Right, right. He could have killed them. So, like, that's bravery there. Yeah. So, it's still a zero. But <laughs> I think he was a brave man. Next round. Legacy. How well known is Chief Joseph on a scale of one to ten? I think we're going to have a fight on this one. Well, no one I asked knew. However, Discord group did know. So we have a Discord group with the other Rexypod, uh, other Rexypods, and we we've always kind of struggled with this round on because I always think they're more famous than they actually than Matt thinks, and vice versa. So I'm just gonna pull up that chat. I'm going to. Uh, just... uh, yes, let's ask a bunch of historians who <laughs> they know historians but like not wild west historians yes valid valid point valid point i don't know if you know this there's a lot of history out there you ask me about the roman emperors i could probably fiddle my way to an answer but i'm not going to be confident on it also feel free to take out these long pauses heck yeah so I would say everyone that responded knew the name, but didn't know what he did, which is Thanks. fair. Because, Matt, have you ever heard of Charlemagne? I've heard of the name, don't know what he did. To me, that's legacy. Oh, jeez. Okay, that's a quarter of a point per person. Well, then there's six people. See, I, so in the hierarchy, I think he's not sitting bull. I've gone over his hierarchy before. He's not sitting bull. He's not Geronimo. Um, I that think he Red is Cloud. above Red Cloud. I also, like, I think he's like right there though. Like, I don't think there's that much of a gap between sitting. Who bull, do you think they know more? Uh, him or Tecumseh? Tecumseh should be much more well-known. Tecumseh should have towns named after him and... If my wife allows, our first child will be to come. That's never going to happen. <laughs> but yeah. what do you say? What do you say then? I think it's seven. I think he's as in the context of our podcast. If you just ask anyone off the street about Chief Joseph, they will probably give you. Yeah, I've heard the name and they might even be able to tell you the quote. I will fight no more forever, but probably nothing else which is more than what we can say about Marcus and Narcissa Whitman or a lot of other people. What did I give Narcissa Whitman? Well, you gave them a zero. I gave them a three. Okay. I'm going to say four. Send your hate mail to Matt Jackson. (laughs) All right. Total score. Actually, actually, you know what? Based on just like, uh, 
the likes and everything. I, I've we've gotten a lot of likes on you know the Facebook page and everything about this guy. I'm gonna move it up to a six. Hey, all right, that's better. It's more respectable. I don't know why two points really mattered to me there, but <laughs> total score of thirteen. Next round death bonus, where you can hand out bonus points between zero and two, depending on if we liked his death. And it's real sad. Real sad. I'm gonna say zero. It has to be zero. Some doctors even put the reason Joseph died was of a broken heart because he wasn't able to die in his homeland. Nah, he just died of old age. You're heartless. (laughs) You're a monster. (laughs) But I will also be giving him a zero because it's just very, very sad. Next round, counting coup, his confirmed... Ish kills divided by 10. And I, we've made this joke before, but how do you divide zero into 10? <laughs> yeah, he didn't kill anybody, huh? Do we count verbal beatdowns? Because it's a massacre. <laughs> uh, so here's the funny thing. When he said that quote, you know, um, I should never fight. Uh, I'll never fight. What is it again? I'll never. I will fight no more forever. I, I will fight no more forever. Uh you didn't do any fighting in the first place, bro. <laughs> well, he was being honest then, now wasn't he? It's a big fat goose egg. Sure is. So, final score. Joseph gets... Is it in the 80s? Goodness, no. 55. Oh, 55. A lot lower than I thought. A lot lower than I thought. Well, we gave him a 13, and are you satisfied? A full 20. And be sure you're all right. Do we want to go over that again? I just gave myself a migraine from rolling my eyes so hard. Full 20. So proud of myself. Next round, we gave him a 9 into hell with the consequences. Draw. That was destined to be a zero. I'm going to be honest with you. I had a zero in before we even started talking about it. Legacy, how well known is he? And then death bonus. Uh, Legacy, we gave him a 13. So the only rounds I think we can give him a couple more points would probably be clever, depending on your interpretation of clever, or legacy, which I think we could be very low on. But yeah, 55. Not bad for having a zero in three scores. (laughs) (laughs) So let us uh, draft. While Eric grabs the coin, remember each team, mine and his, has 20. We haven't got there yet quite yet. Everyone else will go into the free agent pool where if we want, we can drop and pick up, which as we get closer, I'm sure that's going to be happening a lot. So sure. Eric, go ahead and flip that coin. I'm going to say Tails. Oh, what do you know? Tails it is. Dang it. Uh, Remind me, who got the Whitmans? You. Hmm. I'll take them. Thought you might. So that's, I'm two up on you now, aren't I? Yes, I get a free pick. Oh, because Matt is two people ahead I we will not need to flip a coin next time. We will just uh, I will just get first right of refusal. 
Our next person we're going to cover. Swearinger, right? Al Swearingen of Deadwood fame. So we have exited the Pacific Northwest. If you haven't by now, it's going to be really weird to look up on the the feed. But in between Joseph part one and part two, you're going to see a bonus episode. Uh, We did, to celebrate the anniversary of Deadwood's launch, we just watched Deadwood. Matt had never seen it before, so we did a watch along. So if you have an HBO Max account or own the DVD or have access to watching the first episode, we just sat and watched it and talked along with it. So if you have any interest in that, it was a lot of fun. I liked how it came off. I liked it. Heck yeah. It's also on our YouTube channel if you want to see our faces talking about it. Um, and y'all will be happy to know I have not watched another episode yet. I'm getting there, though. I swear it's on my list. I say we did talk about watching a famous episode later in the season. But yeah, well, we'll see. Um, we're going to be covering Al Soringen and then Seth Bullock are our next two people. So with that... Remember, if you like what you heard today, go ahead and like and subscribe. Leave us a comment on whatever podcast service you are listening on. Uh, We really appreciate it. And you can always check out our website, ranking76.wordpress.com, where you will find a link to all of our social media, our email. You can see the scorecards. You can check out the other episodes you may have missed. Um, We really appreciate it. I think that's it. I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. But I, yeah. Woo-hoo. Yikes. <laughs>